Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you're listening to this while it's out, make sure you're watching the Belgian Waffle Rides social media this weekend. I'll be there in Asheville commentating for them uh, on the the women's race, which I am very excited about. So uh, yeah, while this is uh, dropping, I will be there commentating. Okay. Well, let's notice into the future and maybe to the past, but there you go. Uh, we're also just fresh off of the unbound and we, Wilmington is sort of the, one of the Leadville qualifiers just happened, I guess, last weekend, if we're looking into the past from when this episode came out and with these big races often, especially Leadville, uh, you know, the idea of altitude becomes, you know, is always this big, big topic of discussion. Yeah. I mean, for unbound, it was all about heat training and a lot of discussions were happening around that. And I would argue that heat and altitude training, while you're not going to do the exact same things, you are talking about pretty similar concepts. Well, I guess you're talking about the environment, right? If we do, I like that word ecology and this idea that we're trying to be, you know, animals in the the environment. And so, yeah, that we had a, two questions. So let me, let me read the two questions about this. But this idea that we're trying to get ready for, you know, potentially hostile environments, I think we want to keep that in mind, right? Uh, and the specificity of that. So the t- one question, hello, I am getting nervous for altitude at Leadville. Any tips to help an old guy go faster? So that's good. I like that because it's, it's defining who this isn't like the elite, you know, 18 year old, you know, with unlimited funds and experts. This is an old guy who's going to go faster. And the other one is, what is your preferred approach to training for performance at altitude? And that one doesn't have a, a lot about, you know, experience or who, you know, we're doing or how high maybe, I guess. Uh, but that's, you know, I guess the heart of our questions today is, you know, preparing for performance at altitude. Yeah. And I think both of us have sort of the same opening remarks around this topic, which is just, yes, you're, you're thinking towards that hostile environment, but if all of your world-class basics aren't aligned beforehand, if you're not healthy, if training just in general is not happening or not going super well, you know, if work is super hectic and you're super stressed sure. and you have crazy family stuff going on and just all of these things piling up, like if that stuff isn't kind of working for you, all of the altitude tents in the world are not going to prepare you for this race. So the altitude stuff is and the heat stuff are on top of this right. assumption. So maybe that we refer back to our the first time we had Steven Seiler on, I think, was about his it caught your eye. Uh, yeah, that was definitely the first time we had him on. It was his uh, endurance training needs pyramid. So it's like a, if you picture a, a pyramid or a triangle. Uh, he had made this thing. It's sort of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Anyone who went through school and did like psychology. Uh, and the idea is that at the bottom of that is is total frequency or volume of training is the base of this. This makes sense. You know, base training is, is sort of volume. And then the next sort of level up in this pyramid is high intensity training or intervals. And then training intensity distribution. So how do we distribute that training? Uh, you know, how much time in each zone is it really? And that's sort of a big Steven Seiler thing, right? So we can we know why he included that. Then we can talk about periodization on the annual level. And then we get into sports specific and micro periodization. You know, how does that get arranged in the week? And then as we're getting towards the peaks of this, 
uh, you know, again, the peak, this should make sense, the training stimuli enhancement. So this is altitude, heat, energy availability. So this is low carb stuff again to that last 1%, uh, race pace training, uh, you know, fair enough. And then the training taper. So it's funny because a lot of this stuff on that peak, of course, gets all the attention. It's the sexy, flashy stuff. I think Steven Seiler talks about building or, or making a cake. Everyone wants all the icing on top of it, but no one is willing to build the cake. And the cake, the majority of that cake is is the base, right? Uh, so we'll post to that, that episode. Uh, but I think to Molly's point, that's the idea here is that we don't want to get too caught up that there's this altitude thing happening because we can't do a lot about it. And, and the gains, the potential payoffs are, are not big. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's it's just worth caveating that because I think, that, as you said, the, the sexy thing, uh, well, actually, I'm going to argue the least sexy thing is the getting an altitude tent for the bedroom. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, that's that's a great expensive tool and you know, in certain circumstances, absolutely. Uh, but it's it's not going to make up for a lack of training or sleep or nutrition or any of that fun right. stuff. Right, which I mean, tents, you know, some folks have lots of money at their disposal, right? So they'll look into getting a tent, but you do, and having had a tent in my life, right? You, you want to be careful because quickly you have a tent and now sleep can be disrupted. They get so hot, they're so loud, uh, again, they're expensive. Like your girlfriend gets so mad at if, you. If you have a spouse, you know they're probably not in the tent with you, and so you get into, or you don't have a spouse because you have this weird tent, and now you're a weirdo. Uh, you know, it just it, it sort of spirals out from there. And, and like again, when you sleep at altitude, you don't generally sleep that well, even if you're not in a tent, right? Sleeping in a tent in your bedroom, so it is one of those. It's like a big cost, and so we're willing to spend five thousand six thousand dollars maybe more to do this but it's just you know could that be a trip to altitude could that be uh you know any number of ways you could spend money differently you know good food uh you know a massage every week you know so you can relax a little bit for an hour it's hard to say right you can spend money a lot of different ways so a lot of these interventions even just going to the top of a mountain and being alone or, or isolated Uh, for a while, right? Like there's a cost of going to these things. You're away from work, you're away from your family. So a lot of people struggle uh, as much as these might be the optimal interventions. Sometimes they go, they're not as optimal for those folks, right? Yeah. And actually, this is an interesting discussion. I was having a lot at the Western States training camp last, uh, last weekend, I guess, Mm -hmm. weekend before, whatever. Uh, A lot of people were kind of talking about how they're prepping for altitude because the race starts in Tahoe at altitude. But actually, if you look at it, you certain Tahoe, you climb a ski hill and then it's descend, 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 descend. You're coming down the rest of the race. So you're actually only at altitude for a very small portion of the race. But a lot of people get really stressed about the altitude, partially because you're starting from there. So you're sleeping up there. You know, there's a lot of mm-hmm. kind of unknowns if you don't live at altitude or ever sleep in altitude. But I think it's also worth looking at what is the actual like situation that you're heading into. Cause I think a lot of people like Leadville is probably the exception because yeah, it's high. It's going to suck. But something yeah. like a Boulder, Colorado, it's, I think it's at like five or 6,000 feet. It's, it's a, enough. Isn't it higher than the mile high city? I don't so know. So what's a mile? I just remember being there well, and everyone mile, had, everyone had like talked a big game about altitude being this huge thing. And like, I thought the heat was a bigger issue at, western states oh well yes that's also an issue heat oh. and altitude are a thing at western states okay. but this conversation just kept coming up and up and up right but it was it was funny because yeah like there was almost less talk about the heat and more talk about the altitude because that i guess seems freakier to people even though it's a smaller portion mm-hmm. of the race mm-hmm. than the heat 
Um, but I'm just saying, like, even for something like racing in Boulder, it's it's a big deal, but it's not that big of a deal. Have, I'll say I, I raced in Boulder and I sucked in Boulder, but it had nothing to do with the altitude. That had everything to do with lifestyle around it and that I was sure. just able to blame altitude for it. Yeah, and so we have a... This is my Leadville Faster article, which I'll also link to. Leadville Faster without training more i think is the title of that post and so the one subheading on that is get ready for altitude but don't freak out about it and and i think a lot of it is the mindset you know i think there's some you know if you can go to altitude i would say you know ideal is probably i'd like to have people maybe go there twice in the year beforehand but most people do not do even one uh i think of the people i'm coaching there's maybe one person who's doing uh and that's not even for leadville now that i think about it so i mean it's very very uh, rare with these bucket list races that you actually can do it, right? So if you can't do it, this is the heart of a lot of these questions is like, what's optimal? Well, what can you actually do, right? What's the optimal number of hours to train in a week? Well, I mean, probably more, but you know, not in a, you don't live in a vacuum. So I think that's the idea, right? I, I sort of when the uh, one you don't live in a vacuum unless you live in an altitude tent, in which case I guess sort of a, that's not really a vacuum, but I guess I see what you're saying. Uh, so yeah, I mean the the flippant answer to the you know how do I what's your ideal perform you know ideal setup for someone who's racing at altitude to perform well? Well, you know, be born at altitude is sort of the flippant answer, and then live at altitude is the next one, uh, and then two to three camps probably beforehand, and those all have to be timed well. But again, that's most people aren't even going to be able to do one because they're already stretched trying to get to the start line of these events. Right, the bucket list event is the vacation or is the the days off or whatever. Right. So from there, then you know, I, I think there's something you know if you have any. Uh, interest in respiratory training. I think there's probably something there, but we get into the same, you know, how are you going to spend your time and money with those devices? But I think, you know, if you play around, I'll have people do just on recovery spins or trainer rides, a little bit of nose breathing. So they get used to just the discomfort of a bit of restricted breathing. I don't, I don't know that that works, but it, it, again, psychologically, at least maybe there's something there. I don't think it's, you know, it's zero cost. You got to pass the time on the trainer. Uh, And I think, you know, any of this stuff around you know, deep breathing and slower breathing, there's probably something there. But again, because the cost is low and the risk is very low, uh, I I think that's a good one to do. Um, I've had a few clients, if they do tend towards like uh, what we might call hyperventilation, I guess just, you know, really shallow breathing already at at sea level, those folks sometimes will even try, you can get cheaper uh, resistance. So it's like a straw basically that you breathe through that provides resistance when you breathe. Uh, and those are pretty cheap ranging, you know, anywhere from maybe 20 bucks up to say probably 150, you can probably spend as much money as you want on them. Uh, they're not necessarily the devices I would choose, but because the price is lower and it does give you a bit of that resisted breathing again, low cost. So there, there is that. So the Leadville faster article does have a couple links to those as well as tents. If that's the way you want to do it, uh, I won't stop you. Uh, we do have a link to a USAC. So the USAC is what, Molly? It's the United States... USA Cycling. Yeah, there you go. Everyone loves them. Yep, yep. Never heard a complaint about <laughs> them in my life. But they do have a great simple article, a practical guide to preparing for cycling events at altitude. Did anything catch your eye in, in that? Um, I mean, they pretty much say all of the, the main things that we've just talked about it's gonna feel harder if you can get there three weeks ahead of time fantastic but well did they say three i thought it was two weeks is sort of when you start the leveling off of the adaptation so two weeks before yeah so what what they do say is that you should either arrive five to seven days before the start or arrive like the day before 
Do they have that in there? I didn't actually they catch do, that. Yeah. yeah, that's that. I was looking for that part of it, but they do have it good. Now I do have a lot of clients that just you know they can only get flights on a certain day of the week, and that's when they have the houses booked for. It had to be booked for this certain number of days, so they're right in that. You know, what did you catch that? It's like two the, to four days is like the bad time, right? So you wouldn't necessarily choose to go to altitude two to four days. Now what which I which is tricky because that's typically what you'd actually recommend to someone who's racing a big race would be get there a couple of days early so right. you have time to you know, get settled, get your packet pickup, check out the start, all that kind of stuff. So it does sort of change the game a little bit from what you would normally do. It can, yeah. And and I don't know. And this almost applies, again, when we think about the environment and being at the race, it's sort of a a trade-off, right? Even with Unbound or some of these races, you you sort of get a weekly rental and it's just sort of you end up being there for the the week. But it's actually in this other review study that's a bit more complicated than this USAC thing, but basically says the same stuff. Uh, they actually had a really great note that a lot of the altitude camps actually are better not at the race sites. And this is like a coach's like pearl of wisdom. And I was like, oh, well, what's that about? And it actually makes sense because a lot of places that the races actually aren't that great for training, but the athletes also have so much wound up about it. So you wouldn't necessarily choose to go to Leadville. It's not really great riding. But then people are comparing their times and they're getting nervous. It could go either way. It depends how you're wound up and how you, you know, how much Strava you use probably. Uh, but I thought that was an interesting sort of just note in this one uh, review uh, study was that just this idea that probably the camps shouldn't be there. So then also I've seen people at Leadville and races like this go to Denver or go to Breckenridge or go to there's all these little towns that are very close to Leadville even staying there the whole time and driving up so you're actually at lower altitude Leadville's horrible to sleep because it's at over 10,000 feet Uh, so if you can even stay a little out of the town I think actually your adaptation and your your recovery is actually a little better than Leadville that's very specific to Leadville Uh, but again I stayed right at Leadville and after about a week I felt better I think we were there for eight or nine days beforehand uh, we maybe did one or two days in Denver, which is about 1600, uh, and then went up and we did a bit of hikes and some day trips and so forth, but so you're right in that optimal. Well, I mean, it depends, right? They say two weeks could be even more optimal, uh, to start seeing, you know, and, and then in that third week, maybe starting to see more like sea level workouts and volume. Uh, and this again gets into, are we getting ready for a race day or are we getting ready for that? But again, for most working normal people, masters, age groupers, you're probably just going to show up and do what you can do. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, which actually leads to the number two point in the USAC article that I really liked, which was my personal favorite thing ever, rely on perceived exertion for pacing. Uh, so, th- I mean, this is this is me racing at all times, but I think it's it's a, such a good reminder because I th- like the tendency to look at your heart rate and your power and see those the heart rate going up and the power going down is uh, mm-hmm. like psychologically damaging, we'll say. <laughs> Yeah, and, and then that's what they say. There's actually a psychological, that was in the one review study. Again, I'll link to that one as well. Uh, there'll be lots of links in this one. Uh, but the psychological component, this is why the, in our Leadville Faster uh, article, I, I say don't freak out about it, which is easier said than done. But there's going to just be, it's going to feel harder. The breathing's going to be different. There's a lot of stuff at altitude will just be different. So the folks that are just, I'm going to go out and ride and you know, oh, I'm breathing a little faster. It doesn't phase them, but you can wind yourself up pretty quickly if you're expect if you're really watching power or heart rate goes up, you know, much quicker. Again, that should normalize over the course of a few days if you if you have that chance. But you're right. I think the feeling is is sort of the key with that. Uh, they go again in this USAC article. They go through some of the stuff that you know your recovery is going to be slower. You need to pace, right? They said, what did they say? Yeah, just 
pacing yourself and kind of assuming like more of a conservative effort rather mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. kind of doing your normal like all out. And I think the be- best thing, uh, and they do say that here that's in most articles is, is really our best defense is to be as fit as we can go into the race because we know everyone's going to be knocked back. They say 10% at threshold, which I don't, that seems high to me, but uh, in any case, you're going to be reduced, whether that's VO2 max or you're, you know, there's just going to be more cost to being at that altitude. So the higher the number is, the better you're going to be able to, you know, operate at that, you know, if you're really, really fit, then it doesn't knock you down as much and you can still make it up hills a little nicer. You don't go over that threshold as easily. Uh, and, and I think the message for us, you know, that, that sounds good and well, we all like to be fit, but I think the message is that like good, consistent training, our Steven Seiler base of fitness, uh, you know, intervals, you know, periodically, but not excessively, you know, is going to really pay off the most, right? You're going to be in the best shape you can and be otherwise healthy, uninjured, not overtrained, uh, motivated. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then on a nutritional level, I actually wrote an article for this about, uh, for true sport, which is USADA's sort of student athlete arm, uh, last year. And a big thing that, uh, the expert I talked to mentioned was hydration. So making sure that you're super well hydrated in the weeks leading up, which I mean, is good practice in general. That's not really a shocker that I'm mentioning that, uh, but when you're at altitude, uh, you're actually supposed to be drinking more than you would drink normally. Yep. Uh, you will dehydrate faster, so paying attention for signs of dehydration uh, and remembering that those signs may actually change. Uh, thirst, I guess, is less reliable. Thirst cues are less reliable at altitude. Right. So you actually do need to really just pay attention to your intake uh even I think that's weighing it, yeah. yourself is a, is actually could be this yeah. might be the time where that actually matters or uh, just tracking your you know just trying to keep the water intake up and, and increasing it but or you know you're on a ride and you drink the whole bottle in the hour yeah and uh, they the, say headaches are you know going to be a good as always sign that you're under uh hydrated mm-hmm. especially because the higher altitudes tend to be drier climates right so there's such a host of fun things that can happen <laughs> with that. So and really so along just... with that, so our appetite is usually lower, but then you also need more carbohydrate. Uh, and this has to do with, you know, we're breathing more. We're maybe just burning a little more sugar just based on, you know, I- interacting with that environment uh, and our body's trying to adapt to that. Uh, and, and you generally be eating a bit more carbohydrate anyhow, you know, the week of a race, but at a camp, it might not be as intuitive to increase that. Uh, but I think that's... even the week of the race, though, it actually gets really tricky if you're not a professional athlete who's on sort of a super pro schedule. You're traveling to the race. You're maybe your family's along for the ride. You're running to get to registration at this random time of day. You have to run to the bike shop because you forgot to bring your tire. Yeah, any number of things that are going to just kind of slow, like just change your normal routines. Um, and that's that's race week in general. That's not altitude specific, but definitely making sure you're eating enough and trying to keep to that eating routine that you do have. Perfect. Uh, and then they also say, again, this is race week would probably be a good time for this, but not necessarily that you are definitely, they say, don't do uh, like high dose antioxidant supplements, but to eat a nutritious, you know, antioxidant rich. So lots of blueberries and lots of colorful vegetables. Uh, you're gonna have to kill time while you're sitting at the top of a mountain anyhow, right? So they say it's extra important just because you are breathing more, there is more of this, uh, what do they call those free radicals and all these things that are, you know, so trying to help with that adaptation. And then the last thing, is it in your article about iron? 
Uh, no, only because for youth athletes, we actually really tend to stay away from any kind of supplemental oh. advice when they're you not stay, being like... Stay away from beef liver too, do you? <laughs> Look, I don't make the rules. Uh, Fair enough. So the other thing is before, especially for an altitude camp, but I think even you know if we're trying to thrive as endurance athletes, it's good to get a blood test. Uh, and they say, you know, the iron should be on the higher end of, of things. And that may require, I'm not telling you to do this, but you should consult with someone, uh, a doctor or otherwise, uh, about iron supplementation. Uh, I would say, especially for women, that's like a more for sure. Uh, but the, the consensus seems to be that we adapt better to altitude. And this is, I think, m- more critical again for the people who are up there at camps for an extended period of time, where we're trying to actually get adaptation versus just minimize the the damage, so to speak, of going to altitude before the race. Uh, you know, those, if you're just flying in 24 hours before, like it's not as important, like it's not going to have an effect uh, on race day. I mean, if you were anemic, it's going to affect any race. So you should get a blood test and, and make sure your iron is up. Uh, and again, the one thing I like, because it says, you know, just trying to get these from food sources of iron, right? And there's both vegetarian and, and the beef liver. Mm-hmm. Um, and quick hat tip to Inside Tracker, who is actually not sponsoring this at all. But if you go to InsideTracker.com backslash consummate, you can get 25% off your test. Uh, do your we get anything test. out of this? We just have a link? <laughs> we just have a link. Yeah, okay. we're not even getting well, anything go. out of this We're not this point. selling anything, apparently. But great deal. So highly recommend it. We, we use that all the time because we're lazy and don't like having to go to a doctor, beg for a requisition uh then have to go back at the blood test blah 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 uh so yeah highly highly recommend but uh so i think did you have anything else in this i have one more uh as far as what we can do to get ready for altitude did you have any other notes why don't you drop yours first and then i'll just come in and uh do do a mic drop i do like the last word so the last thing which has become more popular in the last few years and again i think we have to be careful that this isn't icing on the cake and, and like a pretty long shot for the time invested and the risk uh, but is the idea of heat and heat adaptation. Now, most of these races do get hot. They're in the summer. Leadville can certainly get hot. But the idea is that some of these heat adaptations, you know, we get more plasma blood volume. And, and so the thought is that that can help at altitude uh, because the heart gets, you know, some extra blood flow so it can pump more blood. Perhaps that also helps with developing more red blood cells chronically. So there's a few different things. And, and the thought is that if you can get more heat adapted before these races a it might help you if it gets hot it should help you because you're more heat adapted and then maybe it helps you with some of the adaptation to altitude so i do think that it's a good thing to investigate because of the just the fact that most important races are going to end up being hot uh, so a we train in the the main part of the day i like this one because this is more ecologically sound in that you're riding your bicycle in the hot weather you're learning how to you know dress and how to fuel and and hydrate but what we can also do is we can look into some of these either a sauna or a hot tub both have research behind them i'll put in some links so you can read more about those both alex hutchison and molly's coach david roche have written a bit about uh the hot conditions and then also the crossover effect of altitude or heat to altitude i guess and then you could go backwards the other way i guess uh Long story short, you want to be in there for sort of 20 or 30 or 40 minutes and be pretty uncomfortable. So a lot of people are like, yeah, I'll get a beer and sit there for 20 minutes and have a soak. But it, it has to be like hands and shoulders, neck, like not head, but neck, uh, like you're in the water and you, your heart rate's going to be up because of the, the heat load. So you could do this separate from rides or usually you see it after the rides you get in the hot tub or you oh, get in please the shower get first. in the sauna well i mean this gets into the questions and the risks warm water shower but let's like... let's finish the the thing here so 
20 to 40 minutes uncomfortable. You see the 40 degrees Celsius, which I think is 104 degrees Fahrenheit. You see that a lot in, in the, the research. So 20 to 40 minutes, you'll see up to 60 minutes in some cases, 40 degrees. I've seen 50 degrees uh, Celsius. Well, these seem really, oh, that's ambient temperature. I guess that happens too. So yeah, 80 degrees in the sauna, I guess. I'll put the links. All that to say, I think if you happen to own a hot tub or a sauna, you should probably use it, period. Uh, it's good for health, whatever. Uh, but you could also look into some of these protocols and actually give it a try in the run-in, especially that last month uh, before the, the race and sort of look at this heat adaptation. And again, if you're just racing normally at sea level, it's probably worth looking into some form of heat, uh, hot water immersion or hot uh, adaptation. Now, Molly brings up the point of hygiene. Uh, also, you know, mountain bikers, especially, you know, runners, we have this idea of like the impacts. So now you're getting in a hot tub, which we usually wouldn't do after with, you know, all types of muscle soreness or injuries. Uh, so I think you want to be careful with that. You know, our, our ultra cyclists are getting into saddle sores, which I probably wouldn't apply heat to, uh, especially a hot tub is just going to make that worse. And then it's also the time demands as well. I get into a struggle, right? Like, would you actually have someone, most of my clients, you know, if the option was 30 more minutes of riding or, or you know, 30 minutes or, or more to get to like a, a sauna somewhere, I don't know. I don't know how you, you know, reconcile those differences, right? Would you rather have someone actually out training more uh, if, if that's the debate? If this is an elite cyclist getting ready for a specific event, I think this makes sense. Or if where you live is very cold, and you're going to a hot, you know, some of these unbound people, you know, we're getting ready in March and April in Canada. Probably it makes sense to do a bit of this, you know, artificial heat, if you will. Uh, but I, I think you definitely need to weigh this and make sure, again, the base of that Steven Seiler pyramid is taken care of so that, you know, you're fit. You know how to ride your bicycle. You know what tires to use. You know what clothes you're wearing. You just haven't been sitting at a hot tub hoping that you're heat adapted. I'm just saying, if you share the hot tub with anyone, just <laughs> please just hot shower before I you mean, get in. I mean, there's chlorine. Whatever. There's chlorine. Uh, can I can I mic drop now? I don't know. I guess. Okay, my my mic drop like final thing on altitude is just uh, remember that you signed up for this race because you thought it'd be a really cool, really amazing thing to do, uh, and just don't let don't let the altitude stuff freak you out make race day feel super stressful take some of the fun out of it you know go in sort of with the with the understanding that the race is going to feel harder you might not pr for your 100 mile time at leadville like it might not be your your best fastest 100 mile ride you ever do uh, but that shouldn't take away from the the fun of this event that you've been waiting i mean for some people now years to get right. to do right. so i think just just don't stress about the altitude kind of go in with the with the good attitude of okay this is going to be hard but that that's what makes it awesome like that's sure. what makes this fun and i think what i see in clients you know i have some who are lifetime lead villers so that doesn't make sense that's not what i meant to say that's confusing now because lifetime owns it but they've gone like that's their thing they're always going to lead they're always going to unbound and those they get so much experience right like i, I actually lean on these folks for the intel at these races because they're so in the community and so into the race that they know the tires that everyone's using they know the latest technology they know the the latest rumors on the course so I, I think there's that. So we're, we're sort of looking at the, you want to train for these next couple months for Leadville, if that's what we're getting ready for. That should be super fun. You should be psyched to do these big, long mountain bike rides, sort of on gravel roads that are hilly. Then you're going to go and enjoy that week or two weeks or two days, whatever you've got booked away for yourself. And you're going to just love that whole wild day. What a wild day. 
right? And then afterwards, you're going to have more experience to carry into whatever you decide to do after this race. And I think that's pretty cool, right? Even if it's not Leadville, you're now going to have a hundred miler under your belt. Maybe it's a big belt buckle. Maybe it's not a big belt buckle, but you'll have that experience. And even if you don't finish, you're going to have the experience that you got from training and from getting to that start line that you can carry to something else. So we do want to keep that in mind when we're doing these things and and thinking too much about the icing. Boom. I'm going to claim that as my mic drop, even though you finished it. Well, let's say it was like a sexy dance. (laughs) All right. Well, with that in mind, uh, head over to consummateathlete.com to grab the links uh, that we've mentioned in this episode. Uh, And of course, if you could leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts, we would be so, so grateful. So definitely check that out. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox. 